Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 39 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself generally use the music of Fish as a jumping off point to introduce a listener to other bands, generally speaking, non-jam bands. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. However, sometimes the problem with Fish fans is that all they listen to is Fish they get a little myopic, a little bit of tunnel vision. They get really, really excited for summer tour, like we are. But then they forget that there's hundreds of other bands out there not named Fish. So when they're not seeing Fish, they stay home, they do stupid things, and their lives just aren't nearly as fulfilling as they would be if they listen to other bands. Totally true. And while we will full disclosure... We are getting ready and geared up for summer tour here. We are super excited at Beyond the Pond. We are probably listening to too much fish ourselves right now, but you know what? It's summer tour. Fish is here. We're so excited about what what they're going to do in 2018. But at the same time, it's good to take a step back. It's good to kind of take a picture of the landscape, take it all in, get an idea about what else is there, which is what we're here to do. At Beyond the Pond. And today we have a really fun episode. Uh, I think fun with a capital F. We really just tried to make this an easy breezy summer episode for you. We've got a great jam that we're going to be covering here. We're going to be talking about the gumbo from July 22nd, 2003 at Deer Creek Amphitheater in Noblesville, Indiana. We've got some excellent, really fun, some of our favorite songs picked out to accompany this. And we are very, very stoked for you guys to hear this as you're traveling to, as you're getting ready for summer tour opener tonight. I just paid $25 for a combination steely Fishman Donut pattern shirt on Etsy to wear on the lot. That's how I'm getting revved up for tour. I just bought a donut, uh, Fishman Donut hat off of Dry Goods, so I'm right there with you, man. Some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include heroic shimmering guitar solos, Summertime albums, and the best to fish at Deer Creek. And there is quite a bit of it, as they've played there several times over the years. And on that note, let's get to some fish. There's a mouse staring out of the window. His car is trapped in the snow. He's planning a family vacation. But he just can't go Around the next corner's a red bird His feathers are trapped in a sling He's been trashed by some gunslinging parrot He's jealous he ain't got no ring There ain't no Alright So why are we talking about the July 22nd, 2003 gumbo from Deer Creek? Well... In a summer tour in which the band pushed their sound to the depths of swampy, psychedelic blues, here was a moment where they looked to the heavens and played with a blissful, rejoiceful intent. Midway through a really unique first set, this gumbo is like the perfect summer album. It's soaring, it's guitar-led, fully flowing, and totally in a totally connected moment where you're able to forget any problems in the world and just let the music take you. Yeah, really, especially, I would say, the last three minutes, lift you 10 feet off the ground. It's also a perfect transition into Divided Sky, which is just the perfect blissful cool-down song. It's uh, one of 
the best segue. It's not so much a segue with the start stop from uh, uh, July 2003. Just really, really excellent placement there. We think that uh, the only real corollaries to this jam during summer 2003 include uh, the July 12, 2003 Ghost, the uh, July 23rd, 2003 Sense and Subtle Sounds. What else we got? July 29th, 2003, Cross-Eyed and Painless, particularly the middle section. I mean, that's a jam that goes 18 different ways, um, but really the middle section gets super blissful. Um, the July 30th, 2003, Sense and Subtle Sounds, the section that we actually covered in episode 15 really, really gets into a blissful area that, uh, that this gumbo does, um, as well as the twist later in that show. The latter section of that twist comes out of like a really – mathematic and kind of precise groove into like a very blissful warm section um and then the august 3rd 2003 ghost from it parts of that middle section are just super super blissful so kind of similar to Haley's comment and that gumbo didn't really jam until it did and then didn't really ever again um in terms of standout versions most build off of the song's funky backbeat and remain more ingrained in the rhythms and textures of late 90s funk, minimalism, space, air, fish. And uh, some standout versions include um, Summer 1997 from Phoenix, July 29th, 1997. The band really loves that version. August 13th, 1997 from Bridgetstown. I think that's the longest version on that uh, on file. August 3rd, 1998 from Deer Creek. That was the one, uh, the show that had a gigantic Haley's also had uh, the Smashing Pumpkins rhinoceros opener. Yeah. And then we've got jumping ahead to the next fall, 91499 from Boise. This has another one bites the dust jam coming right after a massive ACDC bag. One of the best jams ever played. <clears throat> 614 2000, a show that we covered. The uh, uh, Dumbo from Fukuoka, Japan. It's really spacey and then segues perfectly into Llama. It's a really great moment. And uh, 927 2000, a version from Fiddler's Green here in Colorado. Really, really spacey late 2000s version. I will admit to never having heard that version. I have to listen to it. I don't think I've ever heard that Fiddler's Green show. It's a good second set. There's a great ghost. There's a great piper as well. It's definitely worth your time. So... In terms of the significance of this show and the run, this uh, is really a July 2003 show in every sense of the word, in that there's big jams exploding where you might not necessarily expect them to. And in the case of the second set, split open and melt just in time. That's one where uh, you really wouldn't be, I wouldn't uh, hold against you if you fast forward to like 11 minutes. It's actually a relatively dull Type 1's foot open a mail. It's almost like someone whispered in their ear, Hey, it's July 2003. And then uh, <laughs> it gets really exciting really, really quickly, especially the last three minutes. It's uh, kind of relentless. Yeah, the last three minutes are like some of the most fire psych blues rock and all of 2.0, and that's really saying something. But they really rev it up towards the end there. Um, in set one of this show, July 22nd, 03, we got a very bizarre segment, Karini, that uh, directly fades into Medea. Um, it's it just like two totally different type of songs that would only work with fish at a fish show. It's just really bizarre. Um, set two and features perhaps the best, I think this is the only time you could say this, the best place Friday ever. Just a cool down after that 23 minute split open and melt. And free. That's a contradiction. Uh, <laughs> and then Walls of the Cave to close out set two is just total, total heat. So the July 21st show, it's a total outlier for 2.0 on that. It's got a ton of energy. And set two is quite the massive segue fest. You got a city's opener, Killer Week of Pog to close things out. And the second set has got a huge segment of music, 46 Days to Tweezer to 2001 and to Limb by Limb. And then closing out the three-night stand at Deer Creek, July 23rd. This is, I would say, one of the best shows of all of 2.0. It flows perfectly. I love the song selection. The playing's really masterful. 
Uh, you've got the first ever jammed out Sense and Subtle Sounds that opens the show. Fades really nicely in a theme from the bottom. An absolutely outstanding 15-minute Sneaking Sally deep in set one, followed by a very killer type one seven below. Uh, really swampy Down with Disease open set two and segues really nicely into Coil. And then the set is closed out by Thunderhead segueing into Slave, and it's really kind of an underrated late set, 2.0 kind of reflective bliss moment that they did. Have they, have they played Thunderhead in 3.0? They had to play at least once, right? No, they've never played it. I, really? I want to say the last version is the best version they ever played, which is December 1st, 2003. I don't think it was ever played in 2004. That is a 2.0 a good song. I would kill for them to bring that back. That's got like a Mountains in the Mist type of feel, just coming out of a big, big jam. I would love that. I like Mountains in the Mist, a little bit rye little bit of like a wink kind of contemplative yeah i'd have like it'd be a good cool down song be a good way to kick off an encore totally totally so as you guys can tell i mean this three night run is just chock full of highlights and it's really clear if not from this run from a lot of other runs that they've done over the years that fish loves deer creek if you've never been it's really the perfect contrast to alpine valley it's other midwestern shed uh, it's, it's kind of brethren over there in the Midwest. It's in the middle of a cornfield. I think it's like around 15,000. Uh, it's a small, small venue. It's a very small lawn. You can see here really well from the lawn. Very roomy, but kind of confined pavilion. The sound is excellent, and it just has really, really killer vibes. Like you walk onto the lot, and you walk into the venue, and you just kind of feel like you're in the fish mecca of the Midwest. I have only been once. I went in 2010. But it is up there with like my top five favorite places that I've ever seen fish. Also the site of uh, some very good dead shows. I mean, Deer Creek also was uh, the site in 1995 where they had to cancel the uh, second show after there was Death Threat Jerry. Right. I think the first show they played with the house lights on. But one of uh, the last Brent Midland shows, July 18, 1990, is one of my favorite Second sets from summer of uh, that 1990 tour. Great other one, Morning Dude, Terrapin, big help slip Frank opener in the first set. So, yeah, the Dead um, certainly found an 80s, 90s groove there as well. But just with regards to some of uh, the fish highlights that we have at Deer Creek, certainly August 13, 1996, which is Live Fish 12. Excellent first set with a big divided sky opener. Huge, huge Mike's groove in set two. August 10th, 1997. This is the one with the bathtub gin, down at the Z, split open the melt, hairy hood. And when someone says Deer Creek Cities, they mean August 10th, 1997. We just talked about August 3rd, 1998. Not so far from Chicago. So they open with uh, the Smashing Pumpkins Rhinoceros because they're cheeky bastards. They play it really well. Follow it up with a massive Haley's Comet. And then the big ass gumbo we're just talking about. Jump into 99. You guys have heard me say this many times. 725.99. Maybe a top 10 show of all time. I love everything about this show. I could throw it on at any point in time and be happy. Uh, 7.11.2000. Moby Dick. Chuck Does Torture Reprise. Drowned. The Fish from Vermont. Chuck Does Torture. <laughs> I just listened to this show Sorry. yesterday. We're recording this on the 12th. I listened to this on the, uh, the anniversary of my... Just got so much out of it. Uh, the following night, uh, 18 years ago tonight, as of recording, really underrated follow-up show, very fluid second set that just like floats in and out of ambient jam after ambient jam. If you haven't given that a spin, would definitely, definitely recommend that. Uh, what else we got here? Well, July 23rd, 2003, which we just recently talked about, obviously. Um... June 24th, 2004, big down disease, rock and roll, huge tube. August 12th, 2010, from uh, my one time at Deer Creek, really wild, bizarre second set. Um, the first time, no, second time, the bathtub gin appeared in a set two in 3.0, I believe. Um, and it seemed like it was about to go on a, uh, um, it was going to go on a little bit of a ride. Um, split up in a melt. 
goes directly into Dogface Boy, which is just one of the most bizarre segments of music I've ever heard, but worked perfectly. Um, encore. They walk out on stage. Trey brings out the megaphone, starts wielding it around. The place goes absolutely insane. They play Fee, sings it through the megaphone for the first time since 95. Segways that into NO2. Segways that into Kung. And then that into Fire for the encore. Just unbelievable. And then two years later, 628-2012. Got a really unique set list filled with tons of rarities and great jams in uh, Get Back on the Train and Waves even though I guess we look past uh, um, the show of life into Tweet Prize Encore that was uh, very, very 2012-ish. Yes. And on that note, let's listen to some of the goodness. It is the July 22nd, 2003 gumbo from Deer Creek in Noblesville, Indiana.
right. So I'm going to jump into two segments of music here, kind of thematically jumping off of the gumbo from July 22nd, 2003. Hope you guys feel like you're floating two or three feet off the ground right now. We've got a couple songs that will probably keep you there. Um, so the first song we're going to talk about here in segment one, which is going to focus on heroic shimmering guitar solos is a song by a band that we've only mentioned around here a few brief times, a band that we love dearly off of an album that we love a whole, whole lot. If you aren't drinking, I would encourage you to open up a beer. If you are drinking, please raise a glass. So we're going to talk about the war on drugs. (laughs) We're going to talk about the song Red Eyes off of the album Lost in a Dream. I will pause and allow you all to drink. It actually has been a while since we talked about the war on drugs. We actually, yeah, we did step away from this. We, we, we heard you guys. There is a hilarious review on iTunes that says the worst thing about fish fans is they only listen to fish. And the worst thing about Beyond the Pond is they only talk about the war on drugs. We heard you loud and clear. Guilty as charged, but in this case, <laughs> it simply cannot be avoided. In this case, this is a summer episode. Summer tours starting tonight. We just wanted to have some fun. Just, you know, you know sue us if, if you don't like it. But uh, we're going to talk about, like I said, Red Eyes off of the War on Drugs, Lost in the Dream. Uh, this is a standout track from an album absolutely filled with them. Uh, this record, Lost in the Dream, was the War on Drugs' last album for Secret Canadian, Secretly Canadian, which was their record label at the time. Uh, they moved recently to a, to Atlantic for a deeper understanding. And Secretly Canadian is the label by which Jason Molina of Magnolia Electric Company recorded all of his work. So if you haven't checked them out, some really, really good deep cuts that you can go back and revisit through that label. Um, so... Obviously, if you guys didn't know, we love the War on Drugs. And this album, Lost in the Dream, might still be my favorite album of the entire decade. We're going to do that whole review about a year, maybe a year and a half from now. We'll kind of see how that all shakes out. But uh, this is hung around as one of my absolute favorites this decade. And oddly enough, so if you go back to episode one, Camden Chalked Us, which if you had never listened to that episode, but you're a Beyond the Pond fan, We'd encourage you to because we were total novices and had no idea what we were doing. The sound quality editing is hilarious, but the whole heart of it was there. Um, but in it, you'll hear us compare the song Burning off of this album to the Fish Jam, the Camden Choctaw's Torture. And in it, you'll hear this amazing thing. I begin to talk about Lost in the Dream and say, dare I say this album's a masterpiece? And I kind of pause and there's a question at the end because I had no idea at the time what Dave thought about this. And he said immediately, I'd back you up on that 100%, which is great. Uh, how little we knew back then about each other, about our love for the war on drugs, and how far we've come. We also, of note, had no idea that the war on drugs were led by a man named Adam Grandshiel, which just feels hilarious to this point. But I digress. So Lost in the Dream, this was the war on drugs' third album and their first since 2011 Slave Ambient, a record if you have not uh, fallen in love with, I would encourage you to go back and revisit. It's a really, really great formative record for the band. Uh, lyrically, Lost in the Dream focuses on themes of loneliness and depression, which Adam Grandshiel really dealt with following the Slave Ambient tour. Musically, this record is mine and Dave's wheelhouse. I'm talking 80s soundscapes, Bruce Springsteen, Neil Young and Crazy Horse, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, that classic Americana driving record. I mean, you get the gist. This is what a lot of our favorite. (laughs) This is what a lot of BTP favorite uh, songs and records that we've shared over the last year or so come from. Um, This record amazingly features five singles, Under the Pressure, Burning, Eyes to the Wind, An Ocean Between the Waves, and a song we're going to play here, Red Eyes. The album took over two years to make, as Grand Shield and an assortment of his backing musicians, who are now his live touring band, recorded in Philly, New York, New Jersey, and North Carolina. And that sense of travel between spaces to record is ever-present throughout this album. Um, similar to many of his listeners' sentiments, Grand Shields really started going off the rails while listening to this and noted that much of it got to his head. 
Songs went through numbers of a number of variations, and the version of Ocean Between the Waves that's on the or that was originally recorded for the record was scrapped two weeks before it was set to be turned into the record company, and Grand Shield went and recorded it all over again. He didn't think the vibe was there. Similarly, after a number of cuts, he decided to go back to the original demo of Suffering for the record. The record is filled with synths, ambient guitars, reverb, big drums, horns, woos, lengthy guitar solos that define this absolute gem of a record. It's big drums, but it's not like gated Phil Collins 80s drums. It's big without having the um, the 80s no jacket required, Billy and Choose My Number sound. Totally. Yeah, he's, he gets like that echo and that reverb just perfect that it sounds like it's tailor-made in the 80s but it also sounds really authentic at the same time um this record it's the kind of record that you will not only that will not only hit you on first listen but it demands repeated listens single chord changes in this album that may seem insignificant to a casual listener will blow a song wide open and the nuances and the layers to the record really reveal themselves over time, making even your favorite songs on first listen that much more explosive every single time you revisit them. Based on Metacritic of note, this was the most critically acclaimed album of 2013, and I think that is 100% accurate. Do you have anything to say about this, Dave? Um, I still think this is best record. I mean, I love all of his albums. The more recent one... A deeper understanding was also very, very, very good. But it held at gunpoint. If I only had to have one, I'd still take Lost the Dream over it. Just because it's like it's driving. It's a driving with the top down, going fast, speeding down, whatever desert highway in your mind type of album. It's just there's. Is no better song for driving fast than an ocean in between the waves. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's a debate I think we'll have uh, sometime over the next year as we start to figure out what our top albums are of the decade. But because um, both of them, I think, are going to be near the top. I mean, both of those albums got my number one album of the year, the year that they came out. Um, the more I listen to A Deeper Understanding, the more I really appreciate the technical uh, wizardry of it, how perfect it sounds. Uh, I think it flows a lot better as you listen to it. But, you know, Lost in the Dream is kind of like your first love. Like, how do you deny that? Like, this was the record that just totally understood me when I first heard it and continued to every single time I heard it. So, without further ado, you know we love this band, you know we love this album. Let's listen to a bit of uh, the big guitar solo in the middle of Red Eyes here by the War on Drugs off of the album Lost in the talking about shimmer like big shimmering two feet off the ground head full of ecstasy smiling we need to talk about the stone roses in particular 
their self-titled album from 1989 and the song, This Is The One. So uh, to a certain generation of British music fans, say those born between 1970 and 1973, the self-titled debut from Stone Roses is basically Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band plus Blonde on Blonde plus Exile on Main Street rolled into one. Though it doesn't sound like any of those bands, maybe the Beatles, when it came out in 1989, this record was a small-scale bombshell, gorgeous, and downward arrogant Britpop jangle. And despite not having much in the way of dance beats other than um, the non-album single Fool's Gold, which came out later, uh, the first Stone Roses album is seen as one of the classics of the late 80s, early 90s baggy era where British kids wore loose-fitting pants and danced to the likes of Happy Mondays and Suit Dragons and Primal Scream with the Hacienda in Manchester. And yeah, we've talked about this in the podcast before. I think the episode we talked about the Baker's Dozen tube, we kind of got into um, the Hacienda and uh, the baggy ecstasy thing. But surprisingly, we really haven't talked about the Stone Roses debut album itself. So... This is shimmering Britpop, doused in glitter and dipped in more glitter. Layers of ringing reverb on John Squire's guitar lines, inspiring legions of kids to cut a rug. And my God, they have hooks. Holy shit, the Stone Roses have hooks. I mean, songs like She Bangs the Drums, Waterfall, Made of Stone, and This is the One, and most brilliantly, I Am the Resurrection. That was uh, the last song on this record. And as the most quoted line from She Bangs the Drums goes, the past was yours, but the future is mine. You're all out of time. And really, the songs are so timeless that they still show up in 21st century movies like um, the Elijah Wood British football thug movie Green Street Hooligans, which has tons of Stone Roses songs because Elijah Wood is a super fan. And kind of a long story short, they really should have been a huge band with lots of records, but their second and final album came out in 1995 because they were uh, embroiled in swap labels. They were embroiled in some litigation. It's kind of hard to say exactly what was going on. And their 1995 album was called Second Coming. There's that arrogance again. It's a decent record. It's pretty good. But it lacks lots of the jangle and the sparkle of the debut at times, it kind of sounds odd, like a Southern American jam band, like on the lead single, Love Spreads. And I think um, if you want to get into the Stone Roses, one decent way to do it is via the very best of the Stone Roses compilation, which gives you nearly all the, all of the debut, so a few of the lesser tracks, easily the four best songs of Second Coming, and some crucial B-sides. And uh, in, uh, I guess, the 20... 10, 20, uh, the 20 teens, they got together for a handful of reunion cash grab gigs. And they put out two awful standalone singles. I actually saw a Madison Square Garden back in 2016, and it was fantastic. Totally great. Then they broke up for good. So while I have your ear, I also uh, want to say the Stone Roses are probably the best example, what I like to call the 90s Britpop conundrum. It's a situation in which a charismatic lead singer and a brilliant but understated lead guitarist, they make incredible things together, but are generally useless when they strike out on their own. Because Stone Rose's lead singer, Ian Brown, made a lot of solo albums, but he made zero good solo albums. They all suck. I don't care how much they've sold. You cannot convince me otherwise. There's nothing more pathetic than Ian Brown's solo record. And uh, the guitarist, John Squire, he could be in witness protection now for anyone knows. He had a band called The Seahorses. They put out one record. I never listened to it. He had some other solo records. But, I mean, nothing that he's ever done has come close to the majesty of like 30 seconds of, uh, say, She Bangs the Drums. Other examples of this? Richard Ashcroft and Nick McCabe with The Verb. Amazing Together. Richard Ashcroft's solo is pathetic. I don't know what the hell Nick McCabe does now. Morrissey and Johnny Marr from the Smiths. I mean, Morrissey had a reasonably successful solo career, 
But, I mean, Johnny Marr, he's had a bunch of projects. This is a hired gun. Nothing has been as good as the Smiths. I mean, now Morrissey is kind of like your fucking vegan racist uncle shouting awful conspiracy theories and canceling concerts because he just feels like it. So, fuck Morrissey. And on that note, let's listen to This Is The One by The Stone Roses. Taking a break here before we go and do our second segment of music. Um, switching it up a little bit here. You know, like we said at the top, we've both been listening to a ton of fish as we're getting ready for summer tour. And uh, as summer tour begins tonight in Lake Tahoe, uh, right outside of casinos there, plot of land. We know some of our Osiris brethren are there. Um, should be a fun show as we kick off summer 2018. We thought it'd be fun to come up with our three wishes individual wishes for summer 2018 um you know take these for what they're worth we're just having some fun here and we promise by the end of summer tour we will look back and see just how wrong we were because if there's anything that you can bring to a fish show that's just terrible it is expectations so take these for what they were but mine are um my first one i just simply don't want the band to lose the momentum of the baker's dozen um, if you look back on recent years of 3.0, uh, two, 2013 and 2015 in particular, those are recent peaks of 3.0. Um, they've been followed immediately by transitional years, 2004, 2016. Some huge highlights in those years, but I don't think anyone's clamoring for like the full tour of that to be released in a box set form by any means. Um, I'd love to see 2018 a year of growth for Fish, not a year where we're kind of stepping back, playing a bunch of debuts and some weirdly uh, flowing set lists, not a ton of jamming, build off of everything that you guys have built over the Baker's Dozen over the last year. Uh, Dave, what is your first wish for the summer? I want them to bring back Don't You Want to Go. Unless there's something I'm unaware of, there's no good reason that song was shelved. That's just (laughs) a great cover, a great show, but it's just such a fun song. Who doesn't want to go? Yes, I want to go. I love the keys that open that I'll up. I'll be waiting on you. Oh. <laughs> like the jam at the end. Oh, my God. That would be such a fun opener. Um, all right. So for me, my second wish here. Uh, so I don't know if this was the best jam of the Baker's Dozen, but I do know it's the most memorable jam for a lot of people. The Jam Out of Lawn Boy, second song on Jam-Filled Night. Uh, Total shocker, completely surprising move here from the band. Um, I would love to see the band jam an unexpected song like this. I'm thinking Bouncing Around the Room, Brian and Robert, The Line, My Sweet One. Just take any song in the catalog that is two to three minutes standard, no exploration ever, and blow it open for 15 to 20 minutes. That is That would just make my day if I open up Live Fish the morning after a show and saw that. Um, Dave, what do you have for your second one? 
This kind of follows up on your first wish. I just want a more of a baker's dozen approach to setless construction. I, mean, I don't expect them to do no repeats ever for the entire summer, but you know, take the discography for a ride. I mean, they've got a lot of worthy deep cuts, a lot of deep covers. If they ever decided to do something like Powderfinger or Strawberry Letter 23 on a whim, or you know, even something randomly obscure like Dog Stole Things or um, Paige's Great Vita Blue song. Just that there were so many excellent songs that were unearthed. I don't want to see them go away simply because they're not doing Baker's Dozen anymore. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it'd be interesting to see if all the um, one-timers from Baker's Dozen remain that. I certainly hope that some of them don't. I mean, Powderfinger, you noted just an amazing one-timer there by the band and i'd love to see those types of songs come back and other deep cuts emerge um so my last wish for the summer this is something i've been hoping the band would do probably since they came back in 09 just one or two more covers of uh modern indie rock uh i'm thinking the national maybe um something off of sleep well beast uh like i'll still destroy you or Animal Collective, something from Meriwether Post, maybe something from Feels that could work really well. There's a ton of guitar in there. Or Parquet Courts, one of my favorite albums from this uh, from this year so far. Um, something from that, just like super fun, kind of punky. Um, I would just love to hear that, and I'd love to uh, give the BT pro- BTP approved kids some love. I mean, Trey played with the National back in I think 2011. He did. Yeah, so, yeah. Aaron Dessner had a hand in producing one of his records, right? Um, I don't know if Aaron. It wasn't Aaron Dessner. It was Pete Cadis, who's like the Nationals producer. And, um, oh, sorry, but the the National, like the Dessner brothers, are all over that album. I'm blanking on the name. Yeah, well, I mean, but, Matt uh, saying back of them paper trails on uh, "Let Me Lie." On uh, yes, yeah, travel. Yes, right. yes traveler. Thank you. Yeah, so Trace should repay the favor by. I don't know, doing like Mr. November or Fake Empire or something or one of like the sillier songs. I don't know if Fish can carry off the pathos of Terrible Love or uh, Fake Empire. Anyway, um, if I had a third wish, I would say I would like to see, in terms of their big 20-minute-plus jamming, less reliance on Trey Anastasio going off the major keys. Give me more of the 1995-inspired group weirdness, kind of like you saw in the uh, song I heard the ocean sing, Drown combo from, uh, was it Jimmy's Night at the Baker's Dozen? Yes. That kind of stuff. I mean, I don't have anything against big, open-hearted, teary-eyed, major-key jamming, but, you know, after a while, it gets a little predictable. Yeah, after a while, you get some jams that just, like, fade right into... You know the D major, and uh, you know where it's going. It's always fun. It's super rewarding in a lot of ways. But I'm right there with you. That being said, on the December 29th, 2017, Chuck does torture when he's doing that. I think it was might have been the key of A major when he's quoting like Simon and Garfunkel's "Homeward Bound." And just that was that was incredible. I was rocking out to that with, um, with uh, John Hart from HF Pod and Broke Down Pod. That was. Uh, one of my favorite memories of 2017, that was a full-on major key jam. Okay, guys, 
coming into our last segment here of the show. So, the gumbo from Deer Creek, July 22nd, 2003, as we said uh, earlier, I mean, that's just like a great summer jam. Feels like it could come off of your, like, favorite summer album. It just, like, has that feel of, you know, warm, maybe humid air, fresh-cut grass, nice cold beer, barbecuing, driving down the highway, going to fish shows, just being outside, happy with your friends. Um, so we wanted to talk about some of our favorite summertime albums. And the first song and album band I'm going to talk about here is one that we haven't really, I don't think we've officially covered these guys. Am I wrong, Dave? Um, no, we've done the frontman solo, but not the band. Super surprised by that because in our, in our private chats, um, we talk a lot about these guys, and they're a band that I've been getting into a ton over Our the last. Private chats you make that sound so X-rated. No. <laughs> <laughs> In our private chats, we talk about this band. <clears throat> so I'm talking about. I think that's the most appropriate way to lead in. Um, I'm talking about the Hold Steady. The album we're going to talk about is Separation Sunday. The song I'm going to talk about, we're going to play is Chicago Seemed Tired Last Night. And this record, by the way, came out in 2005. So Hold Steady, uh, they're a seminal, seminal in 2000s indie rock band. I would argue they're the greatest intellectual bar band of all time. What would you say to that? Yeah. I would. I had a, they are the greatest intellectual bar band of all time. Although, if pressed, they would probably say that... Um, their, their fellow idols from Minnesota, the replacements were the greatest intellectual bar band of all time. I think that the Hold Steady had uh, had much better chops than Paul Westerberg and crew. Yeah, and that's one thing that you hear on this record is it's not just a fun record. It is there are chops everywhere, and we'll talk about that here in a second. So the Hold Steady are from Minneapolis. Um, it's lead singer Craig Finn's hometown. He's a big Twins fan. Um, and it's a frequent theme in their songs, alongside of drug addiction, lost love, driving to and from Chicago, drinking in dimly lit bars, religion, and redemption, amongst many, many other things. This is their second album, Separation Sunday, and it's perhaps, I would argue, the greatest Saturday Night Rock record released over the last 20 years. It is filled with riffs. And it just makes you want to drive around with your friends throughout the suburbs, blasting the record with the windows open and banging your head like in a, that 70s show intro. Uh, Separation Sunday is a concept album, and it follows the story of Craig, Craig Finn, the narrator, Holly, short for Hallelujah, a sometimes addict and a sometimes prostitute, a sometimes born-again Christian and Catholic, and sometimes all three simultaneously. Charlemagne, who's a pimp, and Gideon, who's a skinhead, as they travel from city to city and party to party. And it just is rollicking, and it just feels like something that has so many, it's got so many different layers throughout the storytelling. All three of these characters of note continue to make appearances on future Hold Steady records, as well as in some of Finn's solo work. So lyrically, this album is dense and filled with biblical references. Musically, it contains some of the greatest guitar riffs you've ever heard over and over and over again. And it's perhaps the best example of Finn's songs or Sing Speak, Springsteen Nest, like vocal stylings that you really get from him. Uh, for me, so I am still very much of a hold steady noob. Um, I found the band by way of Craig Finn's solo career. And one of my favorite records of 2017 was his release, We All Want the Same Things. Uh, recently, I had this just amazing, picture-perfect summer day. Uh, it started with a killer breakfast. It was followed by an amazing hike up a 12,000-foot mountain with my family, rounded out by drinks at my favorite brewery in Denver so far, uh, and then it was ended with late night of drinking on my patio while playing record after record after record. It was awesome. I was up until like 2 o'clock in the morning. It was so much fun. And this record I put on when I was just at that point of, Good, good, good buzz. Beautiful night sitting outside. And it just summarized, summarized the way I felt throughout the night. And it's all I want to hear right now in the summer. This is my summer 2018 album. And one that I know will perfectly complement your upcoming road trips, lot visits, 
barbecues, whatever it may be, this is the perfect record for all of our listeners over the next couple of months. Um, Dave, is there anything? That all really happened. I've got uh, his drunken text chain to prove it. (laughs) You have anything to add to this about it? I know that you're a huge fan of these guys. Um, What's interesting is that I heard this record when it, think first came out in 2005 well i liked it i didn't really get it and then eventually i heard the next hold steady album boys and girls in america which i loved immediately so after loving that album i went backwards to separation sunday and kind of my love for boys and girls in america helped me to better decipher and appreciate separation sunday as a, a note, their first album, Almost Killed Me, is also very, very good. Um, I still probably would put Boys and Girls as my favorite Hold Steady with Separation Sunday coming in second and then Stay Positive. I mean, they're really the only Hold Steady record I would refer to as bad would be their last one, Teeth Dreams, which was just the songwriting is not bad, but it had a horrible, horrible mushy, bad, great production job by a guy who also produced Russian Foo Fighters albums. So that didn't work out so well for him. But yeah, this album, it's great. It tells a great story. And when you see the whole steady live, Craig Finn does all kinds of hand gyrations. He jumps around and he, I guess the closest thing to a big chorus single on this album is a song, Your Little Hood Rat Friend. Yes. And when they play that live, he likes throwing these like, long-winded story like raps into it depending on how much he's had to drink when he's on stage (laughs) yeah this is a great band a great album it's one of the greatest american rock bands the past 15 years without question yeah and he is uh he's one of the greatest stage banter artists i've seen live in between every show was a story you felt like you went to church with him um so if you guys haven't caught our drift yet we love to hold steady We're going to throw on Chicago Seemed Tired last night off of 2005's Separation Sunday. And we hope that you guys enjoy this as well. And that's an organ came to party. That's a party at the Denon Alley. Yeah, he told him what to celebrate. And I met William Butler Yates. Sunday Night Dance Party, summer 1988. At first, I thought it might be William Blake. When it's all mythologies, we push him out the PA systems. We dicked him on our solitudes, we try to get sleeping kids to sit up and listen. And I'm not saying that we can save you. I'm we can put you in a place where you can save yourself. And if you don't get part again, at least you can high as hell. Yeah, I'm sweet St. Paul Oh, that must be the hardest luck saint of them all Oh, we met him at some suburban St. Paul Mall Yeah, St. Teresa came to So in terms of my summertime record, I'm going to talk about a band called Hot Chip The album is called In Our Heads And the song is called How Do You Do The second song on the record so Hot Chip are basically a band that plays dance tracks with mostly live instrumentation, a la LCD sound system and uh, cut copy. So their stock largely consists of uh, thoughtful love songs over pounding beats with co-frontman Alexis Taylor, who's slight, nerdy with a reedy voice, and Joe Goddard, big, hairy with a deeper voice. And the guitarist Al Doyle, he actually moonlights an LCD sound system so they have that connection. And then probably they're the most similar to that band and the aforementioned Cut Copy in terms of, um, you know, basically being a live dance band. So they first came onto the scene in 2005 with their debut album Coming On Strong and quickly followed it up in 2006 with what many think is still their best record called The Warning. That's the one that has the song Boy From School on it, which you might be familiar with. But the one I'm picking for a summertime album is In Our Heads, which is actually their fifth album. It came out in 2012 and happens to be my favorite Hot Chip record. So it helps that they're extremely good songwriters. 
lots of their songs actually deal with uh, some very grown-up topics like fidelity. It's kind of weird in that nearly every Hot Chip album is a concept album about fidelity. I know, um, I think both of the front men are married. They have kids. You can see they wear their like wedding rings on stage and the lyrics get a bit lovey-dovey at times. But as a guy married with a kid, I happen to find that appealing. And the songs in this album are loaded with momentum in life, especially the opening three songs being Motion Sickness, How Do You Do, and Don't Deny Your Heart. It's just a gorgeous opening trip ticket, kind of which you would decide right away whether or not you're on board with this band. These songs make me want to drive fast, windows down, 80-degree weather. There's a little bit of a necessary downshift in the middle of the album. Uh, it gets seriously goofy on the song Night and Day. It gets a bit dark on the song Flutes. But the second-to-last song, called Let Me Be Him, is not only to my ears the best hot chip song, one of my favorite songs, period. Just um, the production on this album is something to behold. I mean, it has kind of stained glass cover artwork, and it really sounds kind of like a kaleidoscope, a stained glass collection of colors just exploding. I mean, with the exception of their most recent album from 2015 called Why Make Sense, which does not make any sense because it's produced like garbage. Hot Chip have really, uh, really been experts at production and the sounds they get are very bright and welcoming. So, I think we should listen to How Do You Do. It's very upbeat. It's very catchy. The sounds and the synthesizers jump from your speakers. If you like this, I think you will uh, like the entire record, and you should also seek out the other Hot Chip records because generally they're all very good. Let's listen to How Do You Do, Hot Chip. Thank you so much for hanging with us here in our uh, summertime episode where we celebrated the really blissful uh, summery gumbo from uh, Deer Creek on July 22nd, 2003. So quick recap of the songs that we played here. So in segment one where we celebrated heroic shimmering guitar solos, we played Red Eyes by The War on Drugs off of Lost in the Dream as well as This Is The One by The Stone Roses off of their 1989 self-titled record. And in segment two, we talked about summertime albums. We featured The Hold Steady off of their album Separation Sunday. We played Chicago Seemed Tired last night. And Hot Chip off of the album In Our Heads, we played the song How Do You Do. Just going to do a reminder of our social media links. You can absolutely find us. We spend an inordinate amount of time on our day going through our social media links because we're very vain. <laughs> <laughs> we're on Twitter at, at underscore beyond the pond. One word on, a, on Simplecast or Simplecast website, beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. On Spotify, you have the Beyond the Pond podcast song master playlist. I think it's got nearly 250 songs. Getting a bit unwieldy. Maybe we'll open up a second playlist in the not too distant future. Check out the other great podcasts in the Osiris Podcast Network. That's osirispod.com. O S I R I S pod.com. Leave us an iTunes review. We will read them. Absolutely, we will. We appreciate it. It helps us a ton out in terms of uh, getting us moved up the ladder. More people can discover us and, um, you know, just helps to spread more great music beyond the pond. 
Um, so really quick, just about our scheduling. So we've got a ton planned here between now and um, when Dix comes around. Uh, we are going to put out a ton of episodes covering um, some summer jams from this upcoming tour. Uh, so we're really going to focus heavy over the next couple of months on Fish's summer tour. So bear with us. Uh, it should be a ton of fun. We did it last year during the Baker's Dozen. We had a lot of fun uh, celebrating tour along with you guys, talking about it a bit, as well as um, trying to come up with some songs that reminded us of jams in the moment. So look forward to that. We'll be posting some episodes on Thursdays just to work out the uh, recording and editing schedules as summer goes along. Um, we'll definitely be on social media, so you guys will see us there. But uh, keep an eye out for that. Lots of stuff coming from us here over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think there will definitely be at least one episode that I will be forced to record on family vacation in Cape Cod, just like last year. I'll probably be really sunstroked and falling asleep, but the peeps demand it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, once again, as we always like to remind you, if you uh, like the bands that you have heard in this episode and you see that they're coming to your town, please go see them. In this age of streaming, no one really sells records. It's more difficult than ever to make money as a professional musician. So go see a band, buy a vinyl, buy a merchandise. If you like the band, tell your friends about them. Tell them to go see the shows. Basically, I mean, streaming is fine in and of itself. It's convenient, but the real money is elsewhere. So be a responsible music listener. Try to find a way to make it work for you. And on that note, if you've gotten this far, we thank you very much. We would invite you to come back in, was it two Tuesdays or next or next Tuesday? Next Thursday. No, we're okay. Next Thursday. <laughs> All right. Next Thursday, when I'm sure we will have some fish summer tour jams to discuss. Maybe we'll once again remind you how fucking terrible Ian Brown and Richard Ashcroft's solo albums are, because they are fucking terrible. But most importantly, we look forward to exposing you to more bands while talking about some more fish. I'm certainly excited for summer tour. It makes my evenings a more interesting place to be. And come back, join hands. We will go beyond the pond. Osiris. Osiris.